Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Now, before we get started, before I pray, I want to just remind you um, about the the theme of the Psalms. What are the Psalms about? And I've given you a summary statement there, and I've added one too that I think clarifies what the Psalms are about. The first one says, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so, Kendall easily reminds us that when you read the Psalms, you see people going through a variety of different issues. But whatever they're going through, they're giving God praise. And whatever they're going through, they're clinging to God. They're trusting Him. They're confident in His care uh, over their lives. And so that's a reminder of what the Psalms are about. And I like the second paragraph from John Piper. He reminds us the Psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry, and listen to this statement. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And the Psalms remind us, because they're so filled with emotion, that our emotions are important. That we take those emotions to the throne of God. That we take those emotions to the feet of the Lord and place them in His hands and deal with them in His presence. And so the Psalms are emotional. They were written to be sung in worship. They were written to be poems or songs that were used in the corporate gathering of God's people. That's a summary of what the Psalms are about. And tonight I'm going to talk to you about the downcast soul. The downcast soul. And to get even more specific, I'm going to talk about depression. Uh, Depression is, uh, at epidemic levels, if you look at some of the different uh, statistics out there, a depression is a very real thing that many, many people, maybe you or someone that you know, uh, deal with. Uh, either you're here tonight and you struggle with depression, or you know somebody, probably, a family member, friend, coworker that struggles with depression. This is relevant to all of us uh, in this room, and, and the Bible has some, some good things to say to us, some truth to speak to us as we deal with the reality of depression. So we're going to talk about the downcast soul. Now look in Psalm 42, Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Oh, by the way, this is for the choir master. Notice the small words right before verse 1. A mascal of the sons of chorus, a musical term. This was written to be used in worship. My soul thirsts for God and for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And so the psalmist feels distant from God because he's distant from the temple where God was worshipped. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And so the psalmist that wrote this is struggling uh, with some situation. We don't know exactly what situation, but he's struggling. He's broken. He's grieving. And as uh, folks look at his life, they say, where's your God? I mean, if God is real, why are you struggling like this? And, and that's what he's dealing with in this psalm. And then look what he says in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Then fast forward down to verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Then look in Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. Father, we pause in this moment to give you glory. We pause in this moment, Lord, to uh, recognize our need for you, our dependence upon you. And we believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Lord, we believe that if you don't accompany this Bible study with the illuminating work of the Spirit, that our time will be in vain. And so, God, would you move in our midst? Would you help us to understand your word? Would you help us to respond to your word? Would you help us to adjust our life to be in accordance with your word? God, would you help us tonight? Give us us some answers tonight. We need answers, and we ask that you give us answers from your truth, from your word, for your glory. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The downcast soul. Now, a couple introductory questions before we get into the meat of these psalms. First of all, do these two psalms go together, Psalm 42 and 43? And the short answer is yes. All right, yes. Uh, why do we believe they go together? Well, there are some, some themes. Uh, matter of fact, some of the exact same phraseology found in both of them. You saw, and I read in three different verses, Why are you cast down, O my soul? It's found in three different verses across the two psalms. There's another a connection here with the uh, phraseology used. Look in Psalm 42, verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the, the oppression of the enemy? Now look in Psalm 43, verse 2. Second part of that verse. Why do I go, up, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So again, same exact statement is made. And notice Psalm 42 has a title, Psalm 43 doesn't have a title, and that's rare because most of the books in the second collection of the Psalms, the second book of the Psalms, have titles. So scholars believe this one doesn't have a title because they were meant to go together. And when uh, you look at some of the old ancient Hebrew manuscripts that we translated uh, our Bible from into English, a lot of the Hebrew manuscripts put Psalm 42 and 43 together. And so certainly in the Hebrew world, they believe these two Psalms went together. So you see the connections there. And I believe these two psalms do go together. So that's the first question. Do they go together? Yes. Number two, who wrote it? Well, notice what it says at the beginning of Psalm 42 in the small letters. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of uh, Korah. These psalms are attributed to the sons of Korah. Uh, The Korahites were Levites, which is the priestly tribe of Israel. uh, And they were descended through a man in Kohath, which was Korah's father. And we read in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles that the sons of Korah were employed in the performance of the temple music. And so their major responsibility was to lead in worship, okay? To, to lead in musical worship. That was, that was their job. And they are the ones that wrote Psalm 42 and 43 and intended it to be used in singing. So can you imagine singing a song like that today? Now, we sing as the deer, pants for the water, right? That was a a, a, a psalm that was written into music, you know, in the, what, the 80s and 90s. You know that song? As the deer panteth for the water. You know what I'm talking about? Don't make me sing it. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, and so that comes straight, straight from Psalm 42. And so we love singing about, you know, panting for the water and seeking after God. But what if we sang the rest of these verses in a song? What if we sang songs like, Why are you in such a funk, soul? Why are you... Uh, hurting so much? Why are you depressed? That'd be real if we sang songs like that, wouldn't it? It's in here. They were singing this in corporate worship. So, uh, these are about the downcast soul. I like what Derek Kidner says about this. It is, this psalm is the lament of a temple singer exiled in the north. Because notice he says, I'm far from God. Uh, In verse 2 of Psalm 42, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and peer before God? It is the lament of a temple singer exiled in the north near the rising of the Jordan who longs to be back at God's house and turns his longing into resolute faith and hope in God himself. And so the psalmist that wrote this probably was a music leader that for some reason, based upon some sort of trouble, he was far from the temple. And he wanted to be at the temple where he could lead in worship of God and be in the presence of God, the manifest presence of God there in the temple. And he's hurting and he's struggling. And he says, my tears are my food day and night. And this psalm has much to say about depression. I mean, we saw it, three different verses across the two psalms. Why are you downcast? What does it mean to be downcast? It means to be depressed. And so this psalm has much to say to us about um, depression. And before I go any further, um, you need to understand that some of the greatest saints in church history have struggled with deep, abiding depression. Names like Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, he was a great preacher in the late 1800s. He dealt off and on with debilitating depression. And, and other great heroes of the faith dealt with what they call the dark night of the soul. You see in the Bible, you see someone like Elijah. He uh, was used by God to win a great victory on the Mount, Mount, of, uh, Mount, Mount Carmel. 
and he calls down fire from heaven, and God sends the fire, and the bell worshippers say, the Lord, he is God, and God shows he's the one true God. And Elijah experiences this great mountaintop victory. But in the next scene, he finds out Jezebel wants to kill him, and he's scared, and he runs for his life. He goes deep into the wilderness. He lays down by a brook and says, God, I want to die. So he went from the mountaintop to the valley, just like that. He was a godly man. And so depression is not, uh, can't be reserved to just one category of person. You can't say depression is for those that really don't walk with God because that's not true. Depression can be a reality in someone's life that doesn't know the Lord, but it can also be a reality in the life of someone that does know the Lord. So we need to understand that moving forward, uh, that, that depression can be that real. So what does this psalm have to say about depression. First of all, it mentions its cause. Its cause. First of all, and this is so important, don't miss this, okay? Depression can be unexplained. In other words, there's not always a good reason for it. There's no rhyme or reason. You, you can't figure out why you're going through the throes of depression. Notice here, the psalmist is trying to kind of get his mind around it. He says there in verse 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? What's going on? Why are you in this, in this deep, dark place? He asked it again later on in the psalm. He asked it in Psalm uh, 43, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And sometimes we will find ourselves dealing with emotional trauma, and we don't know why. And, and, and it's troubling because we want an answer, Right? You remember when Job was suffering? Uh, you know the whole backstory. God allowed Satan to afflict his life to demonstrate to Satan and to a watching world that you can lose everything and still praise God. Remember that story of Job? And Job lost everything. And he had three friends come along. And for the first seven days, they just sat there in silence. Which I think is being a good friend. You have a loved one that's hurting. Don't understand it. You just sit there and just cry with them. That's good. But then they opened up their mouths. And they started trying to figure out Job's suffering. And they thought they knew why Job was suffering. And so they went from sitting with Job, uh, being there with him for seven days quietly, to being called in the book of Job, miserable comforters. That's what God calls them. You're miserable comforters through Job. And so uh, they're trying to figure it out. Job's trying to figure it out. But we can't always figure things out. Job didn't know the whole background that we know. And sometimes suffering is unexplained. There's no real rhyme or reason for it. That's why depression is so tricky. You can't always put your finger on a reason that it is there. So it can be unexplained. And you might find yourself struggling with depression, emotional trauma, saying, Why? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? But depression can be triggered by circumstances. It can be triggered by circumstances. Or it could be exacerbated through circumstances. Look what it says in verse 9 of Psalm 42. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So the, the psalmist admits here, I've got enemies. They're causing me some trouble, some consternation. Look in verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So the psalmist here is being taunted, surrounded by enemies, people that wanted to harm and not heal, and, and it's causing him angst. And so we see here that, hey, the enemies could have been the cause of the depression. And depression can be triggered by circumstances. And let me give you just a, a list of some circumstances that can trigger depression. These come from the Word. And, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, okay? This, this is, we're just, just kind of scratching the surface. But these are some things that could be triggers for depression in someone's life. First of all, feeling purposeless. Feeling purposeless. In, in verse 4, the psalmist says there, Psalm 42... These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with glad, glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And so this son of Kor is saying, 
my calling in life is to lead people in worship, singing, celebrating praises before the one true God. And now I'm far from Jerusalem, I'm far from the temple, I'm far from the altar, and and I'm not doing what God made me to do. And so the psalmist here is depressed because he wants to be back doing what he was made to do. He wants to be back doing what God had wired him and called him to do. And I believe this purposelessness, uh, this feeling of being set on the shelf, is, is driving some of the downcast soul that we see. Listen to what James Montgomery Boyce writes. We need to remember that the employment of the sons of Korah was at the temple in the performance of the temple music. So the author's forced absence from Jerusalem was also an absence from his work and therefore from his sense of being useful. It reflected on his whole purpose for living. Perhaps you have felt the force of that in one way or another. I'm sure you have, you have if you have ever lost a job or perhaps are stuck in a dead-end job. An early forced retirement will lead to depression like this for some people. So will old age. And when a person feels that, his or her useful days are Done, And so we can, because of circumstances, because of what's going on in our lives, we can find ourselves feeling purposeless. And purposelessness is, is misery. There's a story that comes from mythology, so it's a made-up story uh, about false gods. But there's this, this uh, one god named Sisyphus, and he was punished by the other gods, and his punishment was to roll a, a, a stone up a hill. He'd get to the top, he'd roll back down, he'd go back and roll it back up the hill, he'd roll to the bottom, he'd have to roll it back to the top over and over and over and over again. So his punishment was purposelessness. That was his punishment. And, and you know, I understand, if we feel like that we are not where we need to be, if we feel like we're not doing what God has made us to do, if we're not being used uh, for the Lord, if we're not... If we're not being used to make a difference, that sense of purposelessness and just going through the motions and just trying to make it to the weekend will eventually wear you down. If you're living without purpose, depression can be a reality in your life. And here's what you need to understand. No Christian should ever feel purposeless. God has a purpose and plan for your life. He really does. And by the way, we need to be telling this to our young people. Uh, but our, our young people need to understand they are not just um, accidents based upon genetic mutation through evolution and natural selection. We need to let them know, hey, God made you. He made you for a reason and a purpose. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that, that God has prepared good works beforehand for us to walk in. So listen, if you're a believer, God has some good works that he has prepared beforehand, before you were on this earth, and he prepared them for you to walk in. He has something for you to do. So if you're feeling purpose, uh, purposeless, go to the Lord and say, God, show me my purpose. Talk to a brother or sister in Christ. Pray about it. Uh, get in the Word and ask God to show you your purpose, because he has one. Don't let purposelessness drive you to depression. I believe that's what the psalmist is dealing with here. Secondly, Depression can be triggered by ruthless enemies. Verse 10, he mentions those that are wicked, that surround him, taunting him. Where's your God? Then look in Psalm 43, verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. And so the psalmist here is feeling the weight of people that... that they want to harm him, either with words or with actions. He has enemies, and the reality of enemies is driving him to say, why are you downcast, oh my soul? And if we find ourselves dealing with people that are malicious and want to hurt us and want to harm us in any way, shape, or form, then that can, that can do a number on us, can it? it? It really can. It can wear on us. And, and you say, well, I don't have any enemies. Well, you have, you have one. His name's the devil. He's a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. He wants to destroy you. And, and if you're feeling the attack of the enemy often in your life, the attack of the devil who wants to take you out and render you ineffective, that can wear on you and cause you to feel 
the downcast soul. And so, dysfunctional, I mean, ruthless enemies is the second thing. Third, dysfunctional relationships. Psalm 43, verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. If you live around sinners in your home, your workplace, family, school, whatever. If you're around sinners all the time, and Jesus is not working in the middle of those relationships, you're going to experience what the psalmist is experiencing. Deceit, um, unjust, uh, injustice, ungodly people. And, and you'll experience dysfunction. And dysfunction is hard when, when we aren't relating to those that, we, that we're around all the time. And if we are living in dysfunctional relationships, it can cause us to have a downcast soul. Dysfunction wears on you over time. Can I get an amen? Next is devastating grief. Devastating grief. Look in Psalm 42, verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. My tears have been my food day and night. And so the psalmist here is being real and saying, I am devastated. I am, I am overcome with grief. And that grief is surely contributing to his feeling of depression. Devastating grief. And devastating grief can, can be a very real reason that people enter into depression. Uh, grief is hard. It, 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 it's, hard to, it's hard to explain. It's hard to figure out. It comes in cycles. It comes in waves. doesn't always make sense. And, and, and if you're not experiencing what the person that's grieving is experiencing, it's hard to understand what's going on in their heart and mind. But grief is real, and it can be debilitating. It really can. And, and it can cause depression. And, and the psalmist here says, I, I, I'm, my, my food is tears day and night. There's another thing that can cause depression. Unrelenting trouble. I mean, trouble that just won't go away. You know, months and months or years and years of hardship. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a prodigal uh, in your family. Or, or maybe it's a health condition that just lingers and lingers and lingers. Maybe it's financial issues. Or, but something that's just, it just won't go away. It's, it's relentless. And it makes you miserable. And it can even lead to depression. Look in verse 7. This imagery of relentless trouble. Psalm 42, verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So he's saying, hey, my life is like waves of trouble. And if you've been to the beach, waves, they just keep coming, don't they? That's what makes the beach so nice. But if, you're, if waves represent trouble, it's not so nice. When that trouble just keeps coming, it just keeps washing over your life, and it doesn't stop, it doesn't stop, it doesn't. Relentless trouble can wear you down and cause depression in your life. And there's another thing here, one final thing, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, but one final thing that I see here that could be a cause for depression. And I'm calling this God's delays. God's delays. Look in verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why doesn't your God help you? You say, hey, you say you're a man of faith. You're a big time worship leader at the temple. Why doesn't God help you? Which I think the psalmist had the same question. And then look in verse 9, same chapter. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. And so, we don't know the exact details, but the psalmist feels neglected. The psalmist feels like God is distant and God is not coming to his rescue. He's asking for help. God's not helping in a timely manner. He's delaying, if you will. And this is causing the psalmist to say, Why are you downcast, O oh, my soul? How many of you have figured out that God doesn't work on our timetable? He doesn't. And that can, be honest, that can be so frustrating, right? I mean, if something that you want to see happen in your life or someone else's life, and you're asking and you're praying and you're hoping and you're believing, and God doesn't move on your timetable. He delays for his sovereign reasons. And he, by the way, he always has a reason when he delays. And ultimately, it's for your good. That's an entirely different sermon. 
But God delays. And, and those delays can cause us some consternation. God, have you forgotten about me? Hello? I'm praying. I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and just coming right back down. Where are you? God's delays can cause spiritual depression. James Montgomery Boyce writes this. It is not unusual, this is important, it is not unusual for a depressed person to feel forsaken by God. Doesn't mean they are forsaken by God, but, but they feel forsaken by God, which is, which is a real feeling, which can really hurt and lead to depression. So, we've talked about the cause, or some of the causes for depression. Now, if we just ended the Bible study right then, that would be depressing, right? <laughs> Right? we got more to say. But before we get to how we deal with it, I want to talk to you just for a minute about its characteristics. Its characteristics. Just a little bit more uh, tough stuff before we get to the, to the good stuff. All right? What are the characteristics of depression? And this is important for you to understand if you're going through it or if a loved one's going through it. First of all, it's, it's relentless. We talked about unrelenting trouble. It's relentless. Verse 7 of... Psalm 42 uses the imagery of water. He says, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So the trouble, just like the waves coming to the shore, trouble just keeps on coming. It's relentless. And, and, and people that are dealing with real depression feel like it's, it's just not going to stop. It's not going to go away. It's like waves washing over their mind and their heart and their soul. And not only is it relentless, it's overwhelming. Verse 7, he starts by saying, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. And, and, and so it's as if the psalmist is saying, I, I'm, in, I'm in deep water. I'm in deep water, and I feel like I'm about to go under. It's, it's overwhelming, overwhelming to be in the clutches of depression. Here's the third thing. It brings about mourning. It feels, it feels like mourning. And not M-O-R-N-I-N-G, but M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning, grief. The psalmist says, verse 3, Why are you, why are you downcast? Uh, verse 3, my tears have been my food all day and night. Uh, verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And so depression, even unexplained depression, can feel like a loss. It can feel like mourning. It feels like grief. So those are just some, not all, of the characteristics of depression. Now, let's get to the good stuff. What's the cure? What's the cure? We're going to solve depression tonight. Sound good? Not really, but we're going to, we're going to get some principles that are going to help us to, to attack it. All right? It's cure. So you find yourself struggling. You find yourself down and out. You find yourself struggling with a downcast soul. What do you do? How do you handle it? Now, there are a lot of ways people try to handle it that are ineffective and harmful, like try to forget it, maybe through substance abuse, all right? Just try to escape, try to escape the feelings for, for a period of time, and that never ends up going well, right? Some people just run from God. Some people run from other people. I just, I, 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 just, I just need to be away from everybody. I need to be isolated. Um, there are a variety of ways that people deal with depression. Let me give you some biblical principles that you can apply to your life to help you to begin to deal with depression. Number one, be honest with God. Have you ever thought about how ridiculous it is to lie to God? Or to put on a, a, a front before God or a mask before God. I mean, God knows everything, right? So why would we try to pull the wool over his eyes? It ain't going to work. So you might as well just be honest and tell him exactly what's going on in your life, exactly how you're feeling. And there's something, listen to me, there's something therapeutic, listen, about your ears hearing the words of honesty come from your mouth. 
You're talking to God, but you're also listening in on your conversation. More on that in a few minutes. And there's something therapeutic about hearing honesty. I mean, to, to really deal with, with what's going on in your life, you've got to start with honesty. What, what, what really, how you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you're thinking, the questions that you have. I tell people all the time, listen, God is not intimidated by your questions. He's not intimidated by the why questions. And, and, and he's not intimidated by the how long questions. You know why we know that? Because the psalmist used those questions. How long, O oh Lord, when you go come to my rescue? Why, God, why are you downcast on my soul? Why is this happening? We see psalmists in a reverential way, a respectful way, but in a very transparent way, ask those questions to God. And so I believe the starting point to deal with depression, the starting point for healing is to be honest with God. Now listen to me. You need friends. You need family. You might need clinical help. All those are important. All those are valid. All those are tools. But make sure the first place you go is to the Lord. The first place you go. Because ultimately, healing comes from His hand. Right? The first place you go is to the Lord. And when you talk to God, just be honest. may sound funny to talk honestly to God. Maybe you've never um, experience that, but it's important. If you're a child of God through Jesus Christ, if you've embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that God has adopted you. you. You are His child. He is your Father, and He wants you to come to Him, and He wants to know how you're hurting and what's going on. He wants you to be honest. The psalmist here is honest with God. Now, here's the second thing. Start with honesty. Second thing is, Speak truth to yourself. Be honest with God, but be honest with yourself too. Speak truth to yourself. So yes, Pastor Wade is telling you to talk to yourself. Okay? Have my permission to talk to yourself. Now you might want to you know, be careful where you do that. Okay? But, uh, but it's a healthy thing to talk to yourself. Isn't that what the psalmist is doing? Three times he says, why are you downcast? Who? Oh my soul. He's talking to himself. Why are you downcast? Oh my soul. We need to speak truth to ourselves because here's the deal. The Bible calls Satan a liar. Right? He loves to whisper lies in your ear. No one cares. Never going to get better. Your life is over. Meaningless. You'll never be used by God again. Why even bother going to church? I mean, just whispering lies in your ear. He's a liar. The Bible calls him a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. And one of the ways he devours is by speaking lies into our ear. He loves to destroy. It says over in John 10, 10, the thief, Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. I'll never forget, one of the sermons I remember from my childhood is my pastor F.T. Rogers preaching through Ephesians chapter 6, the passage about the uh, armor of God. And he talked about that verse that says, we extinguish the, the fiery darts of the evil one with the shield of faith. Remember that passage? And I'll never forget him on that stage going, the devil is constantly throwing those fiery darts, fiery darts. And they come through your mind and they're lies. And he means for those lies to destroy your life. So, what's the opposite of falsehood? So how do you combat lies? Say it. How do you combat lies? Truth. You, if the devil's lying, you speak truth. Where does truth ultimately come from? The Bible. So get in the Word. Ground yourself in truth. And, and begin to, if you, if you can't say anything else, just quote Scripture. And truth drives out those lies. Listen to what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. This is an extended quote. I, I love D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a pastor in London, England in the middle part of the 1900s. Great preacher, great man of God. And he wrote a book called, really ahead of its time, called Spiritual Depression. 
And listen to this quote he has from that book, Spiritual Depression. Have you realized, he writes, that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. You have to take yourself in hand. I like that phrase. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself. Upbraid means get on yourself, all right? Upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And so what he's saying is this, when you feel the overwhelming lies of the enemy, that, that, that wants to lead you to destruction and lead you to further depression and lead you to misery, you need to counter those lies with the truth of God's Word. Say, wait, what kind of truth from God's Word do I need to speak? How about truth like this? Does God love me? I'm hurting. Does God love me? How about quoting Romans 5.8? God demonstrates his love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the supreme demonstration of the love of God. And the, listen to me, the cross declares over your life, no matter what you're going through, you are loved. And, and so when you don't feel loved, quote Romans 5.8. Or, God must be mad at me. He's getting me for something. You don't know what it is. By the way, I believe if God's disciplining us for a sin in our life, he'll convict us as to what that sin is. But if you're just feeling this, like kind of this low-grade condemnation and there's no specifics, that's probably from the enemy who's trying to destroy you and keep you ineffective. And so what could you quote in that, in that instance? How about Romans 8.1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a good one, isn't it? How about the end of Romans 8? Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we could go on and on and on. But you see what I'm saying here? Speak truth to yourself. Remind yourself of the, the realities of God's word, the, the realities of the gospel. Let truth become a, a foundation for your hurting soul. Speak truth to yourself. Number three, affirm God's love. I just kind of spoke to that. But look what it says in verse 8 of Psalm 42. Got ahead of myself. I hate it when I do that. Look in verse 8. Now remember, he's saying to his soul, why are you downcast? But look what he says in verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And so the psalmist here is saying, yes, I'm hurting, yes, I'm downcast, yes, I'm depressed, and yet I know that God commands his love for me. God has set his affection upon me. And here's what you and I need to do when we find ourselves struggling with depression. We need to affirm God's love. We need to understand that difficult circumstances, physical, emotional, spiritual, do not negate God's love. The reason we hurt, the reason life is so hard is because we live in a sin-cursed world, right? We live in a fallen world. It's a mess out there. And we've contributed to the mess because we're sinners, right? But God saves and God forgives and God redeems and God helps. And the Bible says that one day Jesus will make all things new. And so even though you're living in the midst of a sin-cursed world and you feel like God is far from you and you feel like God doesn't love you, you need to remind yourself from the Word of God, you are loved. He hasn't stopped loving you. He hasn't stopped loving. He loves you perfectly. Hey, let me remind you this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less than he already does. 
He loves you with a perfect, unconditional love. That's amazing, isn't it? And when people are hurting, of course, it's natural, it's human. God, do you love little old me? It's important in those moments to go back to the cross. Remember that Jesus went and bore your sins on the tree so you could be forgiven and saved. And he did it because he loves you. So affirm God's love. Here's the next thing. This is a tough one. All right, you ready? You sure you're ready? You're not going to like it. Especially if you're struggling. You're not going to like it. You ready? Sing. Sing. Look in verse 8. By day the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night, isn't this interesting? His song is with me. I find that fascinating. His song is with me. So even in the midst of a downcast soul, this psalmist could find a song to sing. And there's something about singing songs of truth, songs of praise that is therapeutic for our souls. It makes us think of Acts 16.25. Remember, Paul and Silas were in prison, chained up. It looked pretty bleak. And listen to this. They started singing songs. And in, in, in case you think they were just kind of just humming quietly in their cell, the Bible says in Acts 16 that the other prisoners heard them singing. So Paul and Silas, they were belting it out, buddy. They were singing. All right? Singing hymns in that jail. In jail, chained in a dungeon. They were singing songs. And God moved in power in that story. But listen to me. You and I need to... To hang on to a song. We need to, we need to sing our way through our trouble. That's what Charles Spurgeon writes. Again, Charles Spurgeon, he's been there, done that. He dealt with depression. He writes, This verse, verse 8 of Psalm 42, like the singing of Paul and Silas, looses chains and shakes prison walls. He who can use such heroic language in the gloomy hours will surely conquer. Affliction may put out our candle, but if it cannot silence our song, we will soon light the candle again. Man, that's good. You say, well, I don't know what to sing. Well, turn on K-Love or put in a, a Christian album and that's good, biblical, Christ-honoring music and listen and sing. And if you can't sing the whole song, just sing the chorus. And if you can't get out but just a couple words, just, just sing. There's something therapeutic about singing. Again, you may want to be by yourself when you do this. That's, that's up to you, all right? Uh, in my uh, vehicle, I man, I, I belt out some tunes. I really do. If you ever pass me and I look like I'm like in a happy place, that's what I'm doing. I'm singing. Okay, all right. Sing. And by the way, this is the reason that corporate worship is important too. I'm trying to think how to say this. Corporate worship is not about coming and putting on a mask and acting like everything's okay. That's not what God's looking for on Sunday mornings. He knows that you fought with your spouse all the way to church and yelled at your kids. Okay? He knows that. He knows you had a rotten day yesterday, and, 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 and he knows that you're struggling in this area and, and that area. Corporate worship is not about coming together and saying, hey, I got it all together. Because, listen, we don't have it all. None of us have it all together. If someone asks like they do, they're lying to you. All right? Life is not Facebook. You've heard my thing on Facebook, right? You see, you see vacations. You see, you know, different. You, you never see stomach bugs on Facebook, do you? You know, like, you know, a child, you know, throwing up in a toilet. They don't put that on Facebook, right? You know, right? So, so, so listen. We, we all have struggles. And corporate worship is about, listen to me, it's about coming together and in the midst of our struggles, we give God praise because we know He's in control. And we, knows he, we know He cares. We know He helps. And in the midst of our struggles, we are bringing those struggles to His throne of grace. Does that make sense? This is what Paul David Tripp writes. Corporate worship is designed to rescue us from our gospel amnesia. 
and root our identity once again in the person and work of Jesus Christ. For some reason, we, we forget about how great the gospel is. That Jesus died for our sins, that he, he's forgiven us, we've been justified, we've been adopted, we've been reconciled, we're being changed, we'll go to heaven one day. We forget how great the gospel is because life is so overwhelming and, and corporate worships when we come back together and say, hey, Jesus died for me, he defeated death when he rose from the grave, I'm a child of God, it's so good to be saved. And you and I need that, particularly when we're struggling We need our gospel amnesia cured. We need to remember who Jesus is and what he has done. And that happens in the context of corporate worship. Next thing, very practically, how do you deal with depression? Cry out to God. Psalm 43 seems to be the turning point. Again, I believe Psalm 42 and 43 go together. Psalm 43 verse 1, Vindicate me, O God, is asking for God's help. Defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the, the oppression of the enemy. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Any, we, have any, we have some former Bellevue folks here. How, how many used to go to Bellevue? Got any, how many Bellevue folks we got here? You remember when the choir back in the Adrian Rogers days used to sing, Send out thy light, send out thy, comes from this, send out thy light and the truth. comes from this, this psalm. I, every time I read it, I think about that for some reason. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God in my exceeding joy. I will praise you with a liar, O God, my God. So he's asking God for specific help. Hey, God, would you, would you vindicate me, defend me? Would you get me back into my purpose, bring me back to the temple so I can lead in worship once again? He's crying out to God in very specific ways. And notice he's being specific. Okay? So when we cry out to God, we need the help, Right? That one word prayer, sometimes all you can get out is one word. And sometimes we need to be just very specific. Hey, God, help me get through this morning. Help me deal with this person coming over to visit. Help me, help me to manage that and be helped by that. Help, you know, we, we need to pray for specific things. Cry out to God. God is honored when we cry out to Him. Next, find hope in great certainties. Look in Psalm 42, verse 11. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Then look in Psalm 43, verse 5, second part of that verse. Hope in God, I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So he's reminding himself, hey, God is my Savior. He's my God. He's my my salvation. So even though I'm struggling, even though I'm hurting, even though my soul is downcast, I know that I'm His. And and the psalmist here is rejoicing in finding hope in great certainties. Hope in God. Why? He is your salvation. So listen, no matter what comes your direction in life, there are some things, if you're a child of God, there are some things that are true of your life that will not change. You're His. He saved you. You're going to heaven when you die. And nothing can stop that. Right? Nothing stop it. Find hope in great certainties. And here's the last thing. And again, this is, well, two more things. Next to the last thing. Um, and this is important. Fight. Fight. Look in Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Notice the, the determination here. I, I want to praise him again. This is not going to define the rest of my life. I shall again praise him. And when I say fight, I mean that you need to get a little, you need to get a little forceful with your depression. Don't let depression win the day every day. Fight. Fight. You're a child of God. You're in his hands. You, you've been adopted by the king. You have the truth of the word. You have the indwelling spirit of God. Fight. Don't give up. You know what I'm saying? Fight. Talk to your depression. Say, you're not winning. Talk to the enemy. You're not winning. I will again praise him. I will make it through this by God's grace and for God's glory. Learn to fight your way through the darkness. I think that's important. 
It speaks of resolve. It speaks of, 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 of intentionality. Boyce writes, I will yet praise him. The words mean that my present downcast mood is not, the, listen, is not the final act of my life's drama. That's good. If you find yourself dealing with depression, listen to me. No, it's not the final act. God has the final say, amen? Here's the last thing we'll be through. And goodness gracious, we've almost gone an hour. We have gone an hour. Realize the ultimate source of joy. Look in Psalm 43, verse 4. Then I will go, when I get back to Jerusalem, he's saying, I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Now, I think this is really, really important, and I want you to hear me. If you've tuned me out at this point, tune back in just for a second, okay? If you think joy is going to come when your circumstances improve, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Or if you, you think joy is going to come when your depression goes away, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Joy, ultimate abiding joy, only comes from God. A relationship with Him. Abiding in Him. Spending time with Him. So what I'm saying is this. Fight your depression and, and, and pray for God to intervene and change your circumstances and change things around. But listen to me. Don't think that joy is going to come when your circumstances change. I mean, your depression can be cured and you still be joyless. Right? Because the ultimate source of joy is our God. And he says, God is my exceeding joy. Listen to what Peter Craigie writes, Old Testament scholar. Again, the literary structure, Psalm 42 and 43, the way they're put together, may reveal the solution for reality. When one turns from the memories and burdens within the mind and boldly addresses to God a plea for deliverance, the first step is taken on the path that leads ultimately to a restoration of the life of praise and to mental and spiritual health. And so these things that I'm calling the cure, these are not overnight, snap your fingers, everything's going to get better. These things get you on the road toward healing. Does that make sense? They get you on the road toward healing. God's the healer. God has the timetable. But these things begin to help you to walk that path. So you come out on the other side of the valley and uh, experience victory over your downcast soul.